we're just going to move on. God is good. He is so good. Hey, a couple of things um, we need to do this morning is, uh, first of all, we want to pray for another church in our community. We didn't have a chance to do this last week. We kind of jumped right from worship right into the Word, and so we missed a few things in the middle. But we've been taking time each Sunday this year to, to pray over another church in our community and to bless them. Uh, we, there's one church. Amen. There's one church, there's one body, and it's appropriate for us to be a blessing to the body. In a time when there's so much division and so much disunity, we want to be a church that blesses the body of Christ. So this morning, we're going to pray for a church named Journey of Faith. Uh, they meet right over uh, off of uh, Route, uh, rather Foothill Boulevard across from the high school. Uh, pastor Kevin is, is the pastor over there. Him and his wife planted the church uh, uh, around 2008 to 2009. Um, we actually have some friends that are a part of that congregation. And uh, we want to lift them up. Uh, they're, they're a mobile church like us. They set up and tear down every week, and so we understand what that's like, um, a lot of work that goes into that. But we, we, so they're right about that direction right there. Could we extend our hands in just a sign of blessing to them? Father God, this morning we pray for journey, journey of Faith, Lord, even as they're uh, halfway through their service already. I pray, Lord, that you would bring a mighty move of your Holy Spirit in that place today. I pray that the word would go forth in power. God, that lives would be encouraged, that kids would be built up, Lord, families would be restored, marriages would be healed, uh, the brokenhearted, Lord, would find healing and encouragement in your presence as the word is faithfully ministered in that place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I also want to make a, a quick uh, announcement regarding next Sunday. It's the first Sunday of the month. About a year and a half ago, we started something called Family Worship Sundays. Uh, and for the past year and a half, on the first Sunday of the month, all of our kids, uh, elementary age and up, joined us in worship and for communion. And um, there was, a, there was a, a moment, it was actually driving the 57, coming into to San Dimas, down the hill past Raging Waters in San Dimas. And it was at that point that the Lord spoke to me about uh, starting Family Worship Sundays and bringing our kids into the, the service. And at that point, I didn't know how long that would last, uh, what, that, you know, what the, 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 the length of time. Would that be something we do forever, or is that just for a season? Um, but just over the last couple of months, been sensing that uh, that was for a season for our church. And, uh, and for a couple of reasons, uh, first of all, the consistency for our kids. You know, kids love consistency. Um, and so as much as we love having them here, I know for, for some of our kids, breaking that routine is, is it can be a challenge. Um, by the way, we always want to make sure we're hearing from the Lord. So none of this is meant to be an excuse or, or to give a reason. But, but as I was hearing from the Lord, this is what I was sensing from him. We're moving into a season for our church where that consistency is going to be really important that we're building things into the life of our church that will create space for increase. Um, we had a couple of Sundays where we had close to 100 adults in service, and then we had one Sunday in particular, I think we had 50 kids. We had 50 kids at church, and I started doing some of the math, 
And, and it makes it pretty tight in here on a Sunday morning. And so we want to be ready to, to, to receive the increase that God wants to bring. Even as we look around this room this morning, we could say, well, there's a lot of empty chairs in here. But we're believing that God will fill these chairs with people who need to hear about his love and his goodness. By the way, we have invitation cards back on the hub, the business card size invitation cards. Be, make sure you're grabbing those, inviting people. Ask people to join you at church. Ask them to come with you. Uh, it, it, you, don't, it, you don't have to invite them to church to tell them about Jesus, but it is healthy and it's appropriate for us to invite people to be a part of the body of Christ, and uh, he's going to use you to do that. You know that Easter is just a few weeks away. Would you be praying about who you can invite to come and join us on Easter? All right, a little rabbit trail there. Let me come back. So Family Worship Sunday, God is bringing more people, and we want to be ready. We want to receive the kids well. We want to have place here in our sanctuary to receive people well. So does that mean we've stopped caring about kids? Absolutely not. We love our children, and we love the Family Connect. And one of the things we were doing on uh, Family Worship Sunday was afterwards we would go over to Finkbeiner Park and have a picnic together. We would grab lunch and then just head over. That's going to continue. First Sunday of the month will be a Family Connect Sunday. So after church, we'll continue to do that and go and spend time uh, as a church family, and there's place for the kids to play and, and have a, a lot of fun. So that. So just make a note, next Sunday, for those of you who have elementary age kids, our J-12 will continue to be in like they are every Sunday with worship, and then we'll dismiss them. But our first uh, through third graders will go straight to their class next Sunday, okay? Open your Bibles this morning with me uh, to the book of 1 Samuel. The, the book of 1 Samuel. We started a series three weeks ago entitled Epic, Living an Epic Life in an Ordinary World. Living an Epic Life in an Ordinary World. How many of you ever felt that your life is just ordinary? Anyone? Yeah, I think we've all been there in that place where like, it's just my life, right? It's like lather, rinse, repeat, right? Just doing the same thing over and over and over again, and it just feels like this is as good as it's going to get, or this is the best it's ever going to be. Um, but the reality is, is that God has called us to live epic lives. He's called us to live epic lives, and not in the way that we've come to understand epic. See, because we watch movies like with this guy. Um, we put this picture up. There's a dude who painted his face, and we all went to watch this movie. And I think Braveheart set the standard for what epic movies were. I think, you know, there's people who could argue, for me rather, let's say it that way. I watched Braveheart, and I, my mind was just blown. I'm like, this movie is amazing. Now, there's some people who would say that Dances with Wolves was epic, but you're wrong. It wasn't. That would be boring. That's the word that we... No, Braveheart, this epic movie, and there's been so many others, and we've talked about those these last few weeks, and, and you probably have movies that you would equate with being epic movies. For some of you, it's the sci-fi. Some of you, it's the, the historical movies. For some of you, it's romantic comedies, whatever it is for you. But we have this idea of what epic is. Uh, the definition of epic is this, heroic, imp impressively great, majestic, not words that we would often use to describe our lives. When's the last time you thought of yourself as heroic? 
Maybe you're a parent who caught your kid when they were falling off the swing, and it was kind of like, you ever seen the YouTube videos or things on Facebook where it's the, like the, kid, the, the parents saving their kids just in the nick of time? Maybe in that moment you felt heroic. But overall, you know, for most of us, we're not going to say, oh, my life is heroic or impressively great or majestic. And so we buy into the idea that we're just simply relegated to living simple, day-to-day, humdrum lives. We convince ourselves of things like this, I'm too young, I'm too old, I didn't go to school, I studied the wrong thing, I don't want to stand out, either for good or bad, I just want to blend in, I don't have enough experience, I've made too many mistakes. My personal favorite, it's too late, it's too late, God will use someone else, but it's too late for me. We're going to keep revisiting this verse out of Psalm 139, verse 13 and 16. It says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's what God declares about who you are. He says that you're a child of God, that he knew you before you were born, before you were knit together in your mother's womb. He knew you and he knew the things that he had for you. And they called you and set you apart. See, the word of God tells us that we are children of God. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are chosen. You are set apart. You are called. You are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. That your life has value, meaning, potential, and purpose. God hasn't called you to live an ordinary life. He's called every single one of us to live epic lives. He's called every one of us to thrive. But we have to understand how to define that and have it in the right context because we can spend our lives chasing after things that God said, I never asked you to chase after that. And so understanding what epic is in your life is so important because it will be different to what it is in my life. So we've taken the last few weeks, we've looked at a few different people in scripture and we talked about Noah We looked at the life of Gideon, two people who lived a long, long time ago and and, and who lived epic lives, but not epic because of the things that we would say. See, Noah lived an epic life because he stood apart in a generation, in a world where literally no one else served God. Noah chose to serve God. Gideon lived an epic life even when everyone around him was against him. And God caused him to do amazing things with just a little bit, going from 32,000 soldiers down to 300 because God said, that's too many and you're going to get the glory, not me. But then Gideon was able to go on and do epic things. Well, today I want to talk about the life of a man named David, life of a man named David. The title this morning is Living Epic When You're Feeling Down, Living Epic When You're Feeling Down. Now, I want to qualify that statement. Feeling down could mean very different things for us here today. It could just be, um, just not, just kind of feeling a little sad. 
to I'm having the worst day of my life. Okay, so down is very subjective. It's just simply this. It's the opposite of up. Okay, and you figure out how far down that is for you, and then we'll talk about that. You know, it's easy to look at other people's lives, isn't it? It's easy to look at other people and go, wow, they've got it made. They just, they don't have any problems in their lives. They've got it all together. They look perfect. They look good. They drive nice cars. They live in a nice house. They're always smiling. And we can look at them and go, wow, they don't have any problems. They don't have any challenges in their life. And a little bit of envy starts creeping in, doesn't it? And you start wondering, well, I wish I was like that. I wish my life was like that. Well, God sure loves them more than he loves me. But the reality is that no one gets away, no one gets through this life without having a bad day. And what I've discovered so often is the people who have the smile and they have to fake it and it just seems like there's never any trouble in their lives are lying through their teeth <laughs> and behind, behind closed doors are crying out in des- quiet desperation. There was an ad that came out years ago during the Super Bowl. It was the guy who you see him riding on his lawnmower. He's riding tractor lawnmower and he's out at the country club and, and he's saying, wow, I have a beautiful home and a beautiful family and I have a, 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 a membership to the country club and, 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 and he goes, how do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Would someone please help me? And the whole time the smile is just there. I believe one of the tactics of the enemy is he causes us to compare ourselves to other people and then things just get all kinds of sideways in our hearts, which by the way is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't covet. Don't covet because what you think is so good in their lives might actually be bringing about destruction and harm. So don't covet because you don't really know what you're asking for. The truth is this, everybody has a bad day. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. Because I know that every one of you has had a bad day. Maybe you're having a bad day today, and I'm glad that you're here. If you are, thank God that you're here today. Thank you for persevering and showing up at church. See, when we think of the life of David, here's what we tend to remember about his life. See, King David was the greatest king of Israel, right? We remember him as King David. He's the one who killed Goliath, probably one of the most told stories out of Scripture. Little teenage kid, right, comes up, faces this giant, pulls out his sling in the stone, and kills this giant. Has this fire in him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And he's just, oh, we're like, yeah, come on, David. He's the one who killed a bear and a lion, Now, I'd say, who of you have ever killed a bear and a lion? And some of you might have, and I'm not going to ask who the hunters are in the room. But but if I were to ask who's killed a bear or a lion with a slingshot, I'm pretty safe to guarantee that no one in this room has done that. Would I be right? Anyone? All right, good. When we lived in Alaska, we'd go fishing, and there was one time I was down in this river, and we're casting the flies into 
the river and the salmon are coming and we hear this noise behind us and a black bear comes rolling down the hill. And it was the trippiest thing for me because all of these fishermen just kind of wait across the, the creek and they just stand on the other side. And I'm going, there's a bear. <laughs> this is not good. Now, they all had big guns strapped to their chest and they were, you know, and uh, you don't mess around with the bear. I grew up in Africa. You don't mess around with the lion. But here's David as a kid, slingshot, right? We remember those things. We remember him as a leader of a mighty army. He himself being an amazing warrior. This guy's like the full package. He was a worshiper and a songwriter and he played instruments. Come on. Are you kidding me? He was loved by the people. <laughs> and on top of all of this, he was handsome. Right? Like, like George Clooney has nothing on this guy. David was incredible. Oh, and then like the cherry on top is that he was a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Come on. David was amazing. But here's the reality. We remember the cool things about his life. But can I tell you, David was a hot mess. He was a hot mess. See, he didn't become all of these things overnight. It's said of people who were successful that it wasn't one big decision, one good decision that led them to being successful. It was hundreds and thousands of decisions over years and decades that lead to success. If you could interview the most successful business people in our nation, I guarantee you they would all say, except for those born into money, right? And even then, it was making lots of decisions, quite often the wrong decisions, bad decisions, decisions you regret, but keeping on, keeping on, making decisions and, and that led to that su success. See, he didn't reach a pinnacle and stay there either. David had pinnacles, peaks, and man, he had some valleys, as evidenced by some of the Psalms he wrote. Oh, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't sound so positive, right? He didn't get there overnight. He endured storms, trials, and oppositions. So let me tell you a little bit about some of his hardships. See, because David had some bad days, and he had bad days like we've never imagined in our lives. See, David was overlooked by his dad. David had serious daddy issues, right? See, because when Samuel uh, shows up in 1 Samuel 16 to anoint a new king, Samuel sent to the tribe, to Jesse's tent, and he's like, hey, I'm going to show you who the, God says to Samuel, I'll show you who the new king is. And he goes through all of David's brothers. And God says, nope, 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 nope. It's the whole, I look at the heart, not at the outside, right? And then Samuel actually has to say to Jesse, don't you have any other kids? Are there no other sons? And, and his dad, Jesse, goes, oh, yeah, David. <laughs> Come on, that's a bad day. Talk about being left out. Oh, yeah, 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 David. Let, let, go get David. And turns out, yeah, he's the one, and he gets anointed. He's despised by his brothers in 1 Samuel 17 when he shows up in the whole David and Goliath thing. It says that his brothers hated him. So 
Dad forgets about you. Your brothers hate you. Why? Because they're jealous of you, but they still, I mean, I want to be hated by my siblings. He was hated by his brothers. And then on top of that, he was hated by the king of the whole country. Who, by the way, used to love him because before David and Goliath happened, David would go and play the harp and sing music for king when he was in a bad mood. And David would calm the king. And it actually says that he made him one of the armor bearers. Like, he promoted David. And so at one point, he was very close to the king. King used to love him. But now he hates him. Oh, and by the way, the king was his best friend, Jonathan, was his best friend's dad. So not just the king, but his best friend's dad hated him. Oh, and there's more. He was also his father-in-law. So the king, best friend's dad, and his father-in-law hates him so much that he tries to kill him, throwing spears, right? David's playing his music, spears whizzing by him. That's a bad day. And at one point, the whole army of Israel is chasing after David to kill him because Saul hates him and despises him so much. So David runs away to Gath, to another nation, but he's afraid there. He's afraid of Saul, and now he's afraid of the people in Gath. So he fakes being insane. So it says that he's crawling around, scratching on the floor, scratching on the doorpost, and letting saliva run down his beard. That's a bad day. It didn't always go well for David. Oh, and then this one is one of my favorites. He was surrounded, surrounded by losers. He was surrounded by losers. At least that's what we would call them. This is what it says in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam because things weren't going well in Gath. Oh, and by the way, Saul is still trying to kill him. So he goes and hides in this cave. Which to me would be a sign of just leave me alone. Come on. I'm hiding, just leave me alone, go away. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Okay, I'm going to stop there. This is the same dad that forgot about him and the brothers that despised him. Now all of a sudden, hey David, we want to come hang out with you. Go away. At least that would be me. Then on top of that, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So not only is David having a really bad day, hiding out at a cave, people trying to kill him, his family shows up, and he's like, you guys are just a bunch of knuckleheads. Now, this group of men, 400, show up, and it says that they're distressed. Major trauma in their lives. They're not, can we agree that we're not at our best when we're in the midst of a traumatic experience, right? Do you make good decisions in the midst of trauma, right? No way. You're probably having just, your head's kind of hung down and there's a lot of adrenaline going and a lot of stress inside. Your heart is hurting, highly emotional, right? Making emotional decisions, probably all kinds of emotions going on in the group. Says they were in debt. They had no money. They had the opposite of money. 
They had negative money. They owed people, right? Does that sound a little like the world around us? Maybe a little bit like your life. In debt. Oh, and they were discontent. They weren't happy and probably depressed. And they show up at the cave in Agilent where David is just trying to hide out. Hey, would you be our leader? Now, can you imagine David? Thanks, God. Thanks, thanks for this. Thanks for this group of guys that you brought to me. No thank you. Just go away. But it doesn't say that. It says that he became their commander. We're going to talk more about this group of misfits in a few minutes. David has an affair, 2 Samuel 11, and then because of that affair, conspires to and then commits murder, right? And we hear that story a little bit more than some of the others. That's a bad day. And then he's called out in public by the prophet Nathan. He's the king of Israel at this point, and the prophet shows up in the throne room and calls him out on his stuff in front of people. No one really likes that. No one likes being called out in public. Amen? Hello? Right? I remember when I was a kid in our church, like this, a Pentecostal church, and we would have these prophets that would come to town, and they were the prophets that would walk around and go, hey, you stand up. I hated those Sundays. Because I was like, oh, man, he's going to call on me, and then he's going to, like, air my laundry in front of everyone, and it stressed me out. We don't like being called out in public let alone being the king of Israel, Nathan shows up, the prophet shows up, and he says, hey, let's talk about what you've done. Let's talk about the mistakes that you've made. And then to cap it all off, his kids were an absolute train wreck. His kids were a train wreck. Not the picture of David that we automatically jump to, right? It's easy to think about him as the giant slayer, the mighty king, the father of Solomon. We don't think about David in these terms, but David had some really, really bad days. Now, I want to highlight one that I haven't mentioned yet, which I think, for me, is really a mark. It's really the symbol, kind of the capstone story of his life, and it's one I think we can relate to at least in some ways because it really deals with family. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 through 6. 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 6. These past few weeks, we've actually been listening to the recording, but I wanna, I'm going to read it this morning because I want to be able to pause in different places. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Ziklag was their hometown. It's where they had set up shop, where they were living. It was a town that was given to them by the Philistines, who were the sworn enemies of the Israelites, but because David was running for his life, he had gone to the Philistines and said, hey, listen, can I... Can I just kind of land here for a while. And, uh, and so for some reason, the Philistine, the Philistine king had said, sure, I'll give you a town. You just settle there. That town was called Ziklag. They had been out fighting. It says the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the woman and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them but carried them off as far as they, uh, off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam 
of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. The men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Listen to this. But David, David found strength in the Lord his God. Church, this is the bad day to beat all bad days. You've been off fighting and you come home. Maybe over the horizon you see smoke rising up into the air. And you realize that's the direction of your home. That's where your family is. And so there's a little tension that starts building up, a little, a little adrenaline that starts flowing, a little fear that starts rising up inside of you, and you come over the crest of the hill, and you look down over the valley, and you notice that the, the, the gate to the city has been broken off of its hinges, and that the fires are burning all throughout the city. And now at this point, you're not just walking, now you're running because my wives, my, well, in his case, my wives and my kids and all my men's wives and their kids live in this place. And so you're just in a full-out sprint to get there to find out what's happening. And you walk into the city and you realize there's no noise because everyone's gone. Every person, every man, woman, and child is gone. Every animal is gone. It is deathly quiet. And just the smell of smoke hangs in the air. That is a bad, bad, bad day. And it says of David and his men that they wept until they had no strength left in them to weep. There was nothing. They were so spent. Remember, they just got back from fighting, so they're already exhausted. They just made that run into the city, and now they have cried out every bit of strength they had left in them. And they are spent. David feels responsible, see, because I'm the commander of these men, who, by the way, are the same ones that came to him distressed, in debt, and discontent. He had become their commander, and in fact, they became a mighty, mighty fighting force. At this point now, there's 600 men that are apart. There's another 200 that came, and it's out of this group that later on we would read about David's mighty men who are listed in Scripture and some of the things that they did. There were 40 of them. But these guys are broken. They're absolutely broken. And what happens so often is in our brokenness, we turn on people around us. They look at David and they go, it's your fault. It's because of you. It's because of what you did. It's because of your leadership. It's because of the decisions you made. It's because we're, we chose to follow you that our wives and our kids are gone and they're probably dead. We'll probably never see them again. So much so that they thought, we're just going to take your life. We're going we're gonna to stone you. And here's David in this moment, having lost everything. Saul's still trying to kill him. He's in a foreign land. And now his family's gone, and the only people at his side who stood with him want to kill him. It's at this point, at this, the, 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 the bottom point of his life, because honestly, feeling down is not a good characterization for this moment, is it? This is hitting bottom and hitting it hard. And it's at this point 
that the scripture says, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. David found strength in the Lord, his God. The ESV says it this way, David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. It's this statement, church, that makes David's life epic. It's this statement that makes his life epic because we can look at all the incredible things he did and it's just stuff. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It's that thing that makes his life epic. So let me ask you this question this morning. How do you live epic when you feel down? How do you live epic when you've had a bad day? So it's not just the humdrum, not just the norm going through the motions anymore. Now it's, I'm faced with something that is crushing, something that is sucking the very life out of me. It's the phone call in the middle of the night with a bad report. It's a doctor's visit with a diagnosis that is not good. It's a marriage that has been torn apart. Children who have gone astray. Financial ruin, the loss of a job, whatever that is. How do you live epic when you're having a bad day, when you hit rock bottom? You do the same thing that David did. You strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. You strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. But I along with you, have a hard time doing that so often because I just don't know how. That's the big question. How? How did he do that? i got to tell you, self-help book sales would plummet if we latched onto this. Because I can't help myself. I have to go to God. I have to go to God. So I want to talk for a few minutes. How do we strengthen ourselves? I'm going to make five points this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. They'll be up on the screen. First is this. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? The first is this. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. See, because the very first thing that the enemy is going to do, he's going to challenge the faithfulness and the goodness of God. He's going to challenge who God is. That's really the thing that the enemy does. From, from Genesis to Revelation, he brings into question the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so when that happens in our lives and it feels like the bottom is falling out, the very first thing we need to do is strengthen ourselves and remember his faithfulness. God, the enemy would say this, God's forgotten about you. He doesn't care about you. He says this, and we hear this in the world around us. If he is a loving God, why would he let this happen? And the truth is, there's really no response to that, is there? You can't argue against that, except for that knowing in your soul that he is faithful. I don't see the whole picture. Now, that might not satisfy the person you're talking to. But remember, David didn't try and strengthen his men. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. 
And this is especially true when it hits home and it deals with our families and especially our kids. You better not lay a finger on my kids. Right? You hear people say, I'm a pretty calm guy, but when it comes to my kids, I will rip you apart. And mild-mannered people become vicious animals because that's my kids. David's wives and his kids were gone. See, David knew that God had showed up in powerful ways throughout his life. And he had delivered David from difficult circumstances. Remember the bear and the lion and Goliath and Saul? David had this track record with God where he could look back and go, wait a minute, this is worse than any of that. But he is faithful and he's come through for me before. Remember the faithfulness of God, number one. Second point is this. Choose to worship and pray. Choose to worship and pray. David spent a lot of time in worship and prayer. How do we know? One word. Psalms. And so many of the Psalms that David wrote, he didn't write them all, but he wrote a bulk of them. So many of them were written when he was at the bottom, not at the top. The things that we sing is worship songs. Oh, that's a song of David. He wrote it when he was at the bottom, not at the top, because he was a man who chose to worship and pray. Psalm 40, verse 1 through 13. In fact, it's the whole of Psalm 140. says this, Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent who despise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. They make their tongues Tongues as sharp as a serpent's, the serpents, the poison of vipers is on their lip, lips. Keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who despise ways to trip my feet. The arrogant have hidden a snare for me. They've spread out the cords of their net and have set traps for me along the path. I, I say to the Lord, you are my God. Hear, Lord, my cry for mercy. Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer. You shield my head in the day of battle. Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. Those who surround me proudly rear their heads. May the mischief of their lips engulf them. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits, never to rise. That's just awesome. (laughs) Right? feel something stirring in Jacques right here. May slanderers not be established in the land. May disaster hunt down the violent. Listen to this. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. We don't sing that song every day in church, do we? choose to worship and pray. It was one of the tools that David had that he could rely on. And in those moments where he hit the bottom, he turned around and he chose to worship God in song and in prayer. Why? Because worship and prayer remind us of who God is. It's easy to remember who he is when I'm singing a song. And by the way, music makes it easier to remember The music and the words together, all of a sudden I can remember. I might not be able to remember the verse in the scripture that I'm supposed to quote, but I can sing that song. And you probably, many of you probably have a a go-to favorite, right? It's either on your iPhone, your iPod, your your, your, uh, Android device. 
Those play music, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, on your car stereo, whatever, your favorite station, and you've got your go-to song. It reminds us of his awesomeness, his majesty, his glory. It reminds us of who he is, and it realigns our hearts and our minds. See, because we don't make good decisions when we're in distress either. And so what worship does, it just calms our hearts. It actually has a physical effect. It will bring your blood pressure down so that you can start making better decisions. Third thing thing is this. Remember his call. Remember his call. See, David was a king. Now he was hiding out in a foreign land. But let me ask you this question. At what point did David become king? Did he become king when he ascended to the throne? Or did he become king when Samuel anointed him? He he was anointed the king as a teenager. And in God's eyes, David was a king from the moment he was anointed, not when he ascended to the throne. The calling happened here. The function happened over here. And so often when we equate our value to what we do and our position, we miss the call of God in our lives. See, if God's got a call on your life and you know what that is, start living it now. Start believing it now. Don't wait for the door to open. Live your call now, even when it doesn't make sense in the moment. David was a king when he was hiding in the cave in Angelum. That's why 400 guys showed up and said, hey, be our leader, because they knew that he was a king. And that had not changed in this moment as he sat in the middle of a town that had been burned and ransacked. David had to remember his call. God, this is hard. Yes, this is hard. Yes, it feels hopeless. Yes, it doesn't make sense, especially in relation to what your call is on my life. But all I know is this, is that when I was a kid, this guy showed up. My dad called me in from the fields, and I was anointed to be the king of Israel. And I know that it's true, and I have to believe that somehow this fits into that. So I have to remember the call on my life. You have to remember God's call on your life. I tell people quite often, what's the last thing you remember that God spoke to you? Pastor, I don't know what the direction is of my life. Well, what's the last thing you remember that God said, this is what I have for you? And quite often, for those who've at least walked with the Lord for a while, oh, it was this. Then go back to that. Unless God says something different, hang on to that for dear life. Remember God's call on your life. Fight for it. It gives you perspective. And we'll hear a little bit more about that in a minute in David's circumstance. Number four is this. Seek out wisdom and direction. Seek out wisdom and direction. The word of God and the counsel of people in your life that you trust. The word of God is always trustworthy. People not so much. So when you're having a bad day, don't call the friend that you know is going to tell you what you want to hear. Don't call the friend that you know doesn't hear from the Lord. Call the friend that will speak truth 
the truth of God's word, who will give you wise counsel. That's why this is so important, by the way. This is why building these relationships and living in community is so important. Because there's bad days where I'm not going to make a good decision right now and I need some help. I have people in my life that I can and I do go to and say, listen, I'm having a bad week and I need accountability. Could you give, just speak some wisdom and, and counsel into my life? Because I know that it's in circumstances like this that I don't make good choices. Could you just come alongside of me and help me out? So the word of God and the counsel of people you can trust. Notice this, that David didn't ask his men what he should do. You know why? Because he knew what they wanted to do. And it involved stones in his head. So he doesn't go to people that don't have anything to offer. And it happens over and over and over and over in our lives. We go to people that are going to just give us garbage. Can I just tell you that's not the best for your life? That's not what God wants for you. And the problem is we know it and we go there anyway. Go and seek the wisdom of God through his word and through counsel of people. See, in David's case, he goes to Abiathar the priest. says in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 30, David went to Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, and he said, bring me the ephod, and Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And so he calls the priest alongside, and he says, hey, I need some wisdom. Hey, let's get the ephod out, and that's how they would communicate with God. And he asks the Lord, should I do this? And God says, go for it, go for it, which leads me to my final point. Point five, take action. Take action. I tell you what we're good at as a society. We're really good at self-pity. The res resist the temptation to wallow. Resist the temptation to slip into a depression. Resist the temptation to be Eeyore. Well, this is just my way my life is. Bad things just happen to me. Why should this day be any different? And we start feeling bad for ourselves. And you know what that is at the heart, at the core? It's pride. It's pride. It might not feel prideful, but what you're saying is, I know better than God. And it's just this self-righteous pride that says, ah, you go ahead and take a little while off. You take some time off and you just soothe those wounds and probably in the midst of that make some really bad choices about your behavior because we love to medicate the hurting parts of our lives. And that's just true. That's true of our culture. That's true of the world that we live in. See, our limbic system in our brain kicks in. We call it flight, fight, or freeze. And what we tend to do is do the flight part. We run away from our problems or we freeze in the midst of them and wallow there for a while. Or we choose to fight, but we fight the wrong things. Okay? But God has built this into us. That doesn't exist in us by accident. God has built that into us. We have to take action. So it says in verse 16, 
David, he led David down. This is a, a man that they found along the way who knew where the raiding party had gone. And so they're fall, catching up, and he takes David down. And, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because they had a great amount of plunder that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. And David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, 48 hours. Remember, they're already exhausted. They had, been, they had been crying. They cried out every last ounce of energy. Now they're chasing down this raiding party. And in fact, along the way, 200 of their number go, we just, we just can't. We have nothing left to give. When the 400 finally catch up, they fight for 48 hours, for two days. And none of them got away except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. So the story finishes this way. In the midst of their exhaustion, they finally come to the place where the Amalekites are. And then they fight them, and they fight them, and they fight them. By the way, the 400 that got away, why is it important that those guys got away? Because now the word and the news and the reputation of David gets spread throughout the land. And they defeat them, and everything, every animal... Every person, every son, daughter, every one of them is there, and they're alive. And they get all of their plunder back, all of the things taken from Ziklag, plus everything that the Amalekites had plundered from these other nations. And every bit of that wealth would be amassed for David as God starts establishing his rule and his authority and his kingdom and David's reputation becomes of one of, you don't mess with that guy because he is on the side of God and God is on the side of him. And everything is restored. Now listen, contrast this to sitting in Ziklag weeping. Where's God in this? God goes, I know exactly what I'm doing. This is a part of my plan. The promise of God to us is this. What the enemy has designed for your destruction, I will turn around for your good. What the locust has eaten, I will restore ten times, a hundred times. This is all a part of God's plan to bring increase to David on his way to being seated on the throne. God's promise to you is, I have a call on your life. I am faithful. I am good. Choose to worship me and do something. And it will, in, in, the, in the long term... In the long run, in the long view, in hindsight, you'll be able to see that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. Here's how he was moving. How do you live an epic life when you're feeling down? Remember who God is and what he's done in your life and what he's doing in your life and what his call in your life is. And then encourage yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And then take action and move. Let's stand together as the worship team comes. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, this morning I ask in the places right now in our lives where the enemy has come in like a flood, where he is trying to 
washed the legs from under us, where he is stealing and destroying and lying and doing the things that only he knows how to do. God, that the truth of your word would stand in our hearts and lives. That just like David, we live epic lives, not because of what we do, but because we strengthen ourselves in you. Your word says that you are our strength. And Lord, I'm confident of this this morning, that there are people in this place today who feel like they're on their way to the bottom if they're not already there. And I would declare over you this morning, church, that God will pull you out of the muck and the mire and that he will set your feet on a solid rock. He is the lifter of your head. He is the restorer of your family. He is the healer of your body. He is the designer of your life and he is the one who has called and purposed you for great and mighty things. He has destined you to live an epic life. So this morning... If you're in that low place, would you strengthen yourself in the Lord? In this moment, would you receive, and especially as we continue to worship, as we align our hearts with his, would you receive the strength that the Lord would pour in to you today? I want to ask this this morning. If you're in this place and you've never made a decision to follow God, the only way you can strengthen God yourself in the Lord is to have a relationship with the Lord. If you've never made the decision to strengthen yourself in, or to follow him rather, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I don't want to miss the opportunity to invite you to make that decision. Anyone this morning, if no one's looking around, if that's you and you would say yes to Jesus, would you just simply raise your hand so I can agree with you today? Anyone today? Okay. So, Father, I pray that as we worship now and as we go today, that we would know that you walk with us, that you are available to us just as you were to David, that we, would, we can call on you, and that when we do, Lord, that you would strengthen us in our inner being. In Jesus' name.